You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. We've been focusing on prayer this year, and I, I really am excited about how we've been sticking with that. We know God is at work. We know God has extra plans to increase uh, the, the prayer ministry of our church, and I think there are going to be a lot of things introduced to Gospelite uh, by the end of the year, and then new ministries in the year 2023 as a result of the emphasis on prayer. In addition to that, we've been focusing on one theme every month, and so most of the time, not every Sunday, there are times we've kind of gotten off the theme for different reasons and special occasions, but we've been able to focus on praying for women this month. And it's been rather easy because of Mother's Day. Last week, Craig Edwards did a wonderful job. And then also the first Sunday, I was in Titus chapter number two, talking about the older women. Well, as I began to study Titus two in a more in-depth way, uh, you really can't avoid the, the uh, emphasis as well on the younger women. And, you know, when we had graduation last night, and then of course college graduation the previous week, there's been such an emphasis this month on on young people, on students, on young ladies and young men, the future generation. And so what I thought I would do is take a few moments this morning and continue in Titus 2. I'm loving the book of Titus. I honestly have never really studied it like I've studied it recently, so I'm really enjoying this book, and I'm sure this is going to take me some incredible places as I continue. But I want to emphasize this, how to produce a Titus 2 generation. And I want to put the emphasis this morning on the younger women, knowing that the month of June, the emphasis will be on our men. And we'll emphasize Father's Day and and growing men in our church and young men in our church, because Titus 2 also addresses older women, excuse me, older men and the younger men. So there's this clear pattern of the older mentoring the younger. And I am so sure that this is God's plan to produce a Titus 2 generation. And and I'll show you in just a moment as we develop the message, and I'm obviously going to try to be thoughtful of time as much as I can. But but in in Titus 1, well, let's go ahead and read Titus 2. Let's read the text, shall we? Look at it with me, if you would. Verse 2, but as for you, he says to Titus, Paul does, teach what accords with sound doctrine. the, The King James uses the word, teach what becomes sound doctrine. In many ways, the same word, but I think the word becomes is a little easier uh, for me to, to, to talk about here as, as an introduction. For instance, my wife is wearing a dress as we were singing. I said, honey, how long have you had that dress? Because I've seen it for like, I think, since we got married. She said about 25, 30 years she's been wearing that dress. My wife's amazing. Listen, Tiffany cleaned out our closet this week. I'm telling you. Gethsemane House got five bags of clothing this week. I'm telling you, it was amazing. I dropped them all off, Brother Shane. But she's wearing a 25-year-old dress. But, you, you know, sometimes I'll say to my wife, and I'm saying it right now, honey, you look beautiful in that dress. Or that dress become, is very becoming. It's a becoming dress. Meaning this, that when Scripture speaks here about teaching what becomes sound doctrine, it's the idea to teach that which beautifies sound doctrine. Notice in verse number 10, real quickly, it also mentions sound doctrine in uh, where it says, not pilfering, but showing all good faith. This is Titus 2, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine, beautify the doctrine of God our Savior. 
Now, that word adorn is, is our word cosmetics, right? And so this probably isn't the best day in the world to wear makeup, right, with, with the heat. Nevertheless, this is the way to make the Word of God a beautiful thing, by adorning the Word of God, making God's Word a beautiful thing. So we're not talking about your physical beauty, but your lifestyle that brings beauty to the Word of God. Isn't that neat? So let's go on as we understand the text. Older men are to be sober-minded. This is the month of June. Uh, Dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, love, steadfastness. Older women, likewise, reverent behavior. This was two weeks ago. Not slanders or slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. This is this morning. To train the young women to love their husbands and childrens. To be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Now, before you, I, I can already tell we've read some very politically incorrect scripture And so much of Scripture, by the way, is politically incorrect. But this is the Word of God. And so don't don't kill the messenger. I'm simply reading to you God's Word. This is black ink on white paper inspired by the Holy Spirit. And so as we read this, I want to back up just for a moment to to build a little stronger foundation because, you know, I love the Word of God. I get excited and passionate about preaching it. I love it because it's, it's changing my life. It's continuing to change my life. Listen, A 30-year tenured pastor at one church still is growing, and and, and I hope you know that. And so Titus 1, Paul speaks to Titus about qualified leadership. It's interesting because Titus 2 is a continuation of Titus 1. That's what it is. And when you think of it that way, and you understand that Paul is emphasizing qualified leadership. Look at it in Titus 1. This is why I left you in Crete. Titus, I left you there that you might put what remained into order. Appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, leadership should be above reproach. Verse 7, an overseer, God's steward, must be above reproach. He says it again. He must be, he must not be arrogant. He must not be quick-tempered or a drunkard or violent or greedy for gain. He should be hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught. Why? So that he may be able to give instruction, here it is again, in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict. The first thing I want you to notice here is good spiritual leadership requires being qualified. Good spiritual leadership, and that's an important statement as I give you my introduction. And by the way, the, the, the meat of the message will go much quicker than the introduction because I really believe the introduction carries the most weight in the message this morning at least. And so, good spiritual leadership requires being qualified. So, Paul then, beginning in verse 10 of Titus chapter 1, and I'm not going to take time to read all of that again for sake of time, but I'm going to trust that you will. So, so in Titus chapter 1, Paul presents, get this, some harsh, I mean, these are harsh realities in that day. These, these realities, Paul said, they can't be ignored. And then he sums it all up as he gives this list of really intense realities in the church at that time and in the community at that time. He sums it all up and he says in verse number 16, they profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. 
Now, that's enough, right? I mean, okay, Paul, that's pretty strong. No, no, Paul says, no, no, let, let, let. it's not strong enough. They're detestable. They're disobedient. They're unfit for, for, for any good work. So we can see here, this is Paul, how Paul feels about the condition of that day. And, and so he says, they profess to know God, but they deny him in their works. This seems to be the state of the United States of America today, churches today, homes today, our city today. Homes, as God intended, are fading away. Please understand, I said, as God intended. Because that's to me, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, if we're, if we're believers, if we're truly following Christ According to his word, we want our homes to be what God has, what God's plan is for the home. And and so, it's not that we are not saying things. Like this morning, I'm giving you information. There's a lot of information out there. That's not the problem. In fact, there's seminars. There's conferences. There's there's counselors. So, what's the problem? I, I have a feeling it's this. And please listen. We are not learning. We're listening. We're, we're attending conferences, we're going to church, we're going to small group, we're, 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 not, we're not learning because we're not applying what we hear from the Word of God to our everyday life. So what I'm about to say today is coming right out of the Word of God, right out of the Bible. Satan has leveled all of the artillery of hell against the home. And that was a statement I could have made 30 years ago when I first started pastoring this church. He is leveling the artillery of hell against your home, your grandchildren, your family. Please don't take that statement lightly. Immorality, adultery, fornication, homosexuality and and beyond, drunkenness, crime, murder, disobedience, rebellion, all leveled against the home. All of it. And so this morning, I want to draw your attention to this statement, that when you confess you love God and you don't live as though you know God, it blasphemes the Word of God. Please pay attention to that. Let that be this morning the Holy Spirit's opportunity to convict the Capaci family in this room. Let that be the opportunity to convict everybody who knows Christ as their Savior when we confess that we love God and we don't live as though we know God, then according to Titus chapter 2, verse 5, we blaspheme the Word of God. Now, that's pretty strong, but again, I'm just, I'm just sharing God's word this morning. Chapter 2 is a response, and we've been in chapter 2 to what Paul said in chapter 1. So when I read Titus chapter 2 and what the older women are to teach the younger women, I'm going to be honest with you. It sounds like a foreign language. I'm just to be honest. It's like, this is crazy. You want me to tell my church and the older women in our church, the moms, the grandmoms, the staff, the elder wives, to teach this today? 
in 2022? I mean, God, get a grip. I mean, you understand. It sounds like a foreign language because we've drifted so far and we don't even realize we've drifted. It's become normal for the things that are going on around us. It's like we don't even see them. They don't affect us. They don't, I mean, we don't see what our girls are dressing with. We, we don't even see it. They walk out the door and it's just so normal. It's so accepted. It's what everybody's doing. And this is what God, all through the Old Testament, told the children of Israel, don't be like them. Be different. And that was his message all throughout Scripture. You're different. You're mine. You're bought with the price. And yet it seems as if all of that has gone out the window. Another word for drifting is erosion. Can I tell you something about erosion? It is so silent. You can't even see it. In Judges chapter 2, there is a very sad proclamation. The children of Israel had enjoyed a great victory under Joshua great victories. In fact, many great victories under Joshua, but they drifted. Little by little by little, they forgot what God had done, and erosion set in because it's so gradual, but it always ends in complete disaster. In Judges 2.10, and all that generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord. Man, is that where we're at? Is this generation just a generation that's grown up in a Christian home, but they really just don't know the Lord? If you look at the book of Judges, you see a cycle of compromise, and it seems as if the church is in that cycle today. Compromise and disobedience is where it all starts. And we drift, and it becomes normal. And then bondage sets in. And at first, we don't know we're in bondage. It's okay. And we just kind of do what we want to do. And there is a way which seems right unto a man, period. But the problem with that verse is there's a second part. There is a way which seems right unto man. And it seems really right, doesn't it? Seems great. Seems awesome. Seems like it's working. But the end thereof are the ways of death. So at first, we're like, man, this is okay. Everything's fine. And then bondage sets in, and we start dealing with all kinds of issues and problems and sin and, 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 and frustration and counseling, and things begin to get out of control, and we end up in misery. This is the cycle I see in our churches today. And then there's misery. And then we cry out to God because nobody wants to be miserable. God, help us, deliver us. And God, in his mercy and grace, does. He delivers us. He gives us rest from all of those troubles, and then we get affluent again, and things are good again, and we're, you know, every, everybody's happy again, and all of a sudden, that affluence leads to indifference, and the cycle starts over again with compromise and disobedience. Somewhere, we've dropped the ball. Somewhere, we've dropped the ball. Somewhere we've missed what Scripture is teaching us here. And the people of Israel had just crossed the Jordan River. And when my son Mo spoke yesterday for five minutes at graduation, I was so thankful that he mentioned Joshua 4.21 because as they crossed the Jordan River, he quoted this verse if you were at graduation last night. He says to the people, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? He says, listen, when your children one time eventually ask, hey, what does this mean, Pastor? Hey, what, what, 
Mom, Dad, tell me about gospel light. 30 years. I wasn't even born then. When we look back to the stones, the things God's done, the miracles God's done, the work that God's done as a result of people walking with God and staying faithful and giving their tithes and offerings, when we bring that up to our children and elevate God and elevate His working and elevate His power and elevate His need in our lives, there's a chance we may not lose a generation. But they didn't judge us. They just forgot. And I think I may have figured the problem out. You see, you can't give what you don't have. Think about that for just a moment. Peter said in Acts 3, 6, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I'll give you. Can't give what you don't have. Peter said, I don't have silver and gold. I can't give you that, but what I do have, I'll give you. I got Jesus. I I got a miracle. Rise up and walk. Paul said that like this in Romans 1.15 about the gospel. He said, as much as in me is, I'm ready. As much as in me is. But you can't give if it's not there. And this morning, I'm asking our church to come to grips with this thought. Let's be honest about where we are. And if we need to start getting filled up with God's Word, making some changes in our homes, encouraging our young women to go seek wisdom from godly women who they do have it. They have learned some things. Listen, if we're going to produce a Titus II generation, the older, mature men and women need to mentor the younger women and men of our church. And guys, you've got to answer the call. God forbid this would be another sermon like probably the past hundred messages have been. And I say that not to your discredit, but just to the way that it is today in our world. Information's out there. Sermons are out there. Podcasts are out there. Books are out there. Where's the change? Where's the life change? Where, where, what's happening? We're not applying it. We got to answer the call, guys. This is not about stuffing ourselves in a room reading a book. This is about getting out there and practicing the book. The book. And it's not that older people are smarter. It's just that we got there first. It's like if my wife and I said, hey, let's go to dinner tonight. Let's go to Little Rock to a nice restaurant. Let's invite our whole family. And so we we get a group text message together. And we invite Tiffany and Joe and Mo and Seuss and all the kids and grandkids. And we say, look, we're going to go to Little Rock. And we're going to catch a a, a Pixar movie. And and, and, and we're going to go eat dinner together. Here's the plan. Mom and I are going to leave first, and we're going to get all the reservations, and we'll see you there. We get down Highway 30 a little bit, and we see lights and a terrible accident. It's awful. And the traffic's already backing up. I'm like, honey, you got to text the kids. you got to let them know. they got to go another way. This is bad. So she texts the kids. She warns them. She says, listen... We're here already. We got there first. You'll want to go another way. It's not that we're smarter. It's just that we got there first. Caroline and I can tell you the roadblocks. We can tell you the wreckage. We can tell you what, what, what the, 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 the problem, the, the accidents that, that would, if you go that way, this is what you will get. It's disastrous. We've been there. It's not that we're smarter. We've just been there first. And so I want to give you these attributes of an older woman. I'm done with my intro, and I really believe that is the substance 
of a lot of the message this morning because all of this is just details. And I'm not going to give many details. It's already 1054. And I, I want to, to be a thoughtful of time and discomfort this morning. And so if you'll get what I just said and study this word for yourself as I give you a very few details about these attributes prayerfully as I introduce a new ministry that will start in our church soon, you'll want to get on board. Number one, I want you to notice this about the older woman. And we've already preached it, so I can, I can do it in two minutes. There's the legacy in this passage that she is to leave. The legacy that she is to leave. Let me just say this. Craig Edwards' head is so much bigger than mine that this mic is like shaking everywhere. I love you, Craig. All right. And uh, I need to tighten this thing up, and I can't do it. It's crazy, man. I'm like, whoa, man, I got a small head. <laughs> anyway, you had to, I had to break the ice there. Everybody good? All right. Look at Titus 2, verse 3. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women. Now, I want to stop here and just say this about that. That's God's plan. That's God's plan. I love God's plan. Hey, you ever heard this? I love it when a plan comes together. You want to raise a Titus 2 generation? There it is, right there. That's God's plan. For the older women to teach and train the younger women. Now, I realize you can't give what you don't have. That's why we got to step up, ladies. we got to step it up. If we have not received what we need to teach them, we need to be mentored ourselves. Because, And by the way, there's valuable information that we have because maybe, uh, maybe of mistakes we've made. We've been there first, amen? So there's no reason for anybody here to not be considered to have an opportunity to mentor. The older women have a ministry from God. It is from God, and that is to teach the younger women. This is the legacy that you are to leave. My wife and I talk about this all the time. We realize we're, we're getting older, and our days are numbered much more. They were, they were when we were 20. Now we're 57. Dave, where have the years gone? It's all about legacy now. We're leaving a legacy as an older generation in a young church, a very young church. But I'm convinced we can make a difference. This is to come not primarily from the pulpit. I just think we put this emphasis on the pulpit, and everything's got to come from the pastor, and everything's got to come from the pulpit, and we're all infatuated with 35 minutes on Sunday morning. Can I tell you, I believe it's to come from older mothers and grandmothers and older dads and granddads. They are more responsible than a 35-minute sermon from the pulpit every Sunday. I'm not trying to get myself off the hook. You know I'm going to prepare. You know I'm going to put in the work. You know Scott's going to come guns a-blazing next Sunday. Right, Scott? You're going to be ready. Butch will be ready. Jordan will be ready with worship, and if he preaches, he'll be ready. I, I believe we've got some great pulpiteers here at Gospel Light, and it's amazing that we can go five or six deep here at our church and not miss a beat. Can I get an amen? It's amazing. It's amazing. But I'm going to tell you, it is not the pulpit's responsibility God's plan includes the pulpit. It's part of it, but I believe it's the older mentoring the younger. We said two weeks ago, she's to be holy in her behavior. Verse number three, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior. They are to have the beauty of Jesus Christ in their lives. That's what that's teaching there. And then secondly, she is to be godly in her speech. Verse three, older women likewise are not to be slanderers. By the way, that word slander is where we get the word devil from. Isn't that interesting? The devil is a slanderer, not malicious gossips. Gossips can get worse with age. It's amazing. 
Don't be a slanderer. It's like the lady who came forward in the invitation after the preacher preached on gossip, and she said, Pastor, I want to lay my tongue on the altar. And he said, well, it's only 40 feet long, but you can try. Anyway, not much laughter there. Sorry, ladies. And then he said she's to be free from addictions. She's not to be slaves to much wine. That means you are not to have any addictions. This would include cigarettes or pills. Don't let something enslave you is what it's teaching, ultimately. And then today, quickly, she is to teach what is good. And that's what the message is all about today. We've covered those other things already. This is, this is the, 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 the meat of the, of the message, the lesson. What we're to teach, ladies and, and gentlemen, is what is good. Look at verse 4 and 5. So train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, work at home, kind, submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Question, who is teaching the young women today? Who's doing it? Who's doing it? TV? Who's doing it? Who's teaching them about sex? Movies? Internet? Who's teaching them? Their friends at school? Coaches? Teachers in the public school? Who's teaching our young women? Where are they getting? Soap operas? Soap operas. Who's teaching our young women today? That's a big question. I mean, if we're supposed to teach the young women, then who is doing the teaching? We need godly mothers and godly grandmothers in this month of praying for women who will teach the younger women. I'm going to say a word that, again, is a foreign word today, to be homemakers. In fact, that word is a word that we're being taught, women are being taught not to be. Don't be that. Don't be a homemaker. I mean, what are you thinking? You're better than that. Now, listen, I've got a lot to say in just a moment, a short period of time, and I won't let you down, ladies. You guys have more talent than we've ever had. And there's women in this church that can do books and money and make more. I mean, there's women making more money than their husbands in this church, and I commend that, and I don't think husbands have a problem with that. This is not about you sitting around and doing nothing except for washing dishes, and if you think that's what homemaking is, you're missing it. Please listen, and I'm going to go quickly. Because perhaps the greatest ministry that you can have if you are an older woman is to find some young woman or young wife and disciple her. That may be the greatest ministry you ever have in your life. And that's why I'm proud to introduce a new ministry that's going to start at our church as soon as we can put it together. And we're very busy right now, but I'm, I'm going to focus on some folks that have some time to start a ministry called Woman to Woman. Woman to Woman. And then in June, we're going to talk about man-to-man. Do you like it? And we're going to see how this thing goes. It may start small. It may start with just Paula, Carol Ann, Sonia. Who knows? Just might start with three. But that'll be six. And we can pour into this younger generation. And then maybe it'll grow. Maybe Suzanne will come on board with us, you know? Sorry for calling you out, Suzanne. Claudia. Yeah, you don't mind. I mean, there's some women in this church that have a lot to offer. Even if you've been through some tough times, you still are important, and we need you in this new ministry, because I think we spend a lot of money on the wedding, but very little money on getting ready for the marriage. The legacy she's to leave. Number two, the love she is to learn. There's something about love here. Look at verse 4. It says, so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Here, I got a question I guess I've got the question for God. 
Do we really need to teach this to young women to love their husbands and to love their children? Isn't that just natural? No, <laughs> it's not. I mean, look at what happened when in, at, at the fall. The very thing that God said would happen is there'd be an attack on a woman's willingness to place herself under her husband. She'd fight against that the rest of her life. It's just difficult, isn't it, ladies? Or say amen, Caroline. Yeah, I already know your answer. And we'll talk, cover that quickly. All this is going to be quick. But even children. I mean, listen, when there are, and I know there's a big emphasis right now on Roe versus Wade and it being overturned because of the millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions upon millions of abortions. Listen, we need to teach women to love their children. That's the key so they won't ever have an abortion. Amen. How, how, how do we have a society that's ended up thinking that's okay? We need to teach younger women to love their husbands and to love their children. Now, the word love here is the Greek word phileo. And what's interesting is it doesn't refer, it's not agape, it refers, phileo refers to a, a, a physical love, a practical love, an outworking love. This is different from agape love, which is a deep, sacrificial, sincere love. Agape love mentioned to the men, to husbands in Ephesians chapter 5 in verse 25, which is what we're going to close with. God is saying here to teach the younger women to love practically. To love practically. And this comes from teaching. This is something you can learn. How to practically love your husband. Because older women have learned what it is like uh, to to love their husband in a practical way. To love what he desires. to, 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 To know what he needs. To know what he likes. This is an incredible mentoring opportunity for older women in the church. Marriages would be so much different if this was practice. If this was practice, if we could practice teaching younger women how to love their husbands in a practical way, it would make all the difference in the world. Teach them to love their husbands. This this can be learned. And then teach the younger women to love their children. How do you love a child? Three quick ways. You love a child by, number one, telling them. That's how you love a child. Tell them over and over and over and over again. I guarantee you, kids growing up in my home have heard I love you 7,220 times a week. I mean, I'm just exaggerating slightly. I'm big on it. You can't tell a kid you love them enough. Just tell them all the time. It needs to be the most common words your kid hears and, your, and, and young people hear is I love you. You tell them, and then you teach them. You hug your kids. Or rather, touch them. Touch them. I'm sorry, I messed you up there. Thanks, Ken. Correcting me. I need it. You touch them. You hug them. And you know what? You, I, I tell you, I, 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 every time I get home, I just, I got to give Glorianne a kiss and Chloe a hug and a kiss. And, and then I, you know, at least give up my boys a, either a high five or a quick little bump or, you know, a tackle or something, right? I mean, you think if I walk home and tackle Zoe, he thinks I'm angry at him? Or do you think he's like, this is cool, my dad loves me? You know? Kids need touch. They need to know that they're important. They need to know, attaboy. And then you, 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 you love a child by teaching them line upon line, precept upon precept. They need to be taught. This is the largest investment of loving a child. It takes so much time to teach. But children, I believe, are not a burden. They're a blessing. And that's what Psalm 127 verse 3 teaches. They're a heritage from the Lord. They are the fruit of the womb is a reward. Baby dedication, little Johnny, Trip, Scott, 
Where are you at? Yeah, there he is. Hey, he's here today. Is he, is he enjoying the service so far? All right, amen. Oh, Johnny, he's in church today. Got dedicated on Friday night. He had the biggest baby dedication crowd we've ever had. Seriously, it was amazing. I was so proud of everybody for coming. It was great. We must have had 50 to 75 people there. It was awesome. And they came, and, and we dedicated that little baby. But can I tell you who we really dedicated? We dedicated Allison and Johnny and the church to come alongside them. There's no greater reward than our children, and they're worth fighting for. If this message is about that, then so be it. I want to fight for this next generation. We need a Titus II generation. Being a mom is not easy, is it, ladies? It's not glamorous, but there's no higher calling. Fathers have influence on their children, but mothers make the greatest impression. And I can say that about my own wife when it comes to our kids. Teach them to love their children. If you don't think Danielle Reed's announcement was important, if you don't think some of the best money you'll give will be anniversary Sunday to remodel that nursery for our kids. You say, Pastor, maybe that should have come before the auditorium. You're probably right. I've made some mistakes before. Maybe that's another one. And I'm sorry if I did make that mistake and it wasn't the right thing to do. But I can tell you this. We're going to get it right, and we've got to remodel that nursery. It's for our kids. They're worth it, amen? And so what I'm saying here today is there is a, a, the, the lesson, or rather the, the, the legacy she's to leave. There is the love she's to learn in closing. And aren't you glad I said that word? There is the lifestyle that she is to live. Young women need teaching on morality and pure living. Now, again, please don't kill the messenger. I'm begging you. I'm, don't, don't point the gun at me pointed at God. Because I'm just reading scripture here, Titus 2, 5. Be self-controlled, be pure. This is what you need to teach them. Teach them to work at home, to be kind, to be submissive to their husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Is that politically incorrect or what? Does that even sound, I mean, think about it. Is, am I crazy for preaching that? Have I just lost about 50 members? Are, are, are we, am I just Falling off of some rock somewhere, hit my head, and what are you doing, preacher? You know Titus 2.5 is not in the modern translations. It's not there. It's still in mine. Number one, she's to have self-control. The King James says discreet, which is an interesting word. She's to be self-controlled. This means she's to be sober-minded, serious. She's to be sensible. She's to use good judgment. This means she uses good judgment when she goes shopping, and she, she uses good judgment when it comes to nutrition and culture. And this is why it can be taught. Older women can teach the young. Listen, you sit down with Sonia Chittam, she'll tell you how to use a coupon. Hallelujah. I mean, she's out of my league. I mean, I tell Carol Ann, don't be Sonia on the— I mean, every now and then get something that costs a little bit more. Come on, honey, you know. But so, my wife's gotten good at it too, man. I mean, we don't buy gas except for $1 less at Kroger. Do you do that too? It's crazy. I'm like, honey, how do you pull this off? Gas is 4 bucks. We're getting it for two eighty. She's like, Kroger. I love it. These are things we can learn. Proverbs 18, 22, no wonder the Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing and obtains favor from the Lord. Amen, gentlemen? What about Proverbs 31? An excellent wife who can find. She's far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her. He will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of his life. No wonder Scripture says that. 
about this woman who has self-control. Secondly, she's to be pure. The King James uses the word chaste, pure or chaste, not sexy, not hot, not foxy, pure. The Bible teaches pre-marital chastity and post-marital fidelity. Where's that preaching anymore? Where is that? The word chastity means refraining from all sexual activity, all of it. The word fidelity means faithful to your spouse in all ways. This is what we're to teach the younger women, to save yourself for the one you will marry. This is what the Bible teaches, and yet we're afraid to teach that. Why? Because everybody's doing it, so let's give them a condom because they're going to do it anyway. And so we bought into this world's philosophy that young women cannot learn how to be pure, and yet the Scripture teaches the older women can teach this. Teach them how to do it. What is God's plan for sex education? What is God's plan? It's for the older women to teach the younger women and the older men to teach the younger men. That's God's plan for sex education. The world's philosophy is kids are going to have sex, so just teach them how to do it. That's the world. Let me read you a letter that I read from a counselor by the name of Herman Crowder. He wrote this letter over 30 years ago. It's going to blow you away. It is perverted rationalization to argue, as many do, that since teenage sexual activity is already a fact of life, it must be accepted and granted implicit approval by including sex education in scholastic curriculum. Teenage car theft is also a fact of life. So if we applied the same thinking to that situation, we would have to abandon our hypocritical attitude that stealing cars is wrong. We would have to accept and offer scholastic credit for it. And let's not overlook another fact of life, teenage drug and alcohol abuse. Why not strip away all of the moral camouflage from that problem also? We could expand our consciousness and curriculum to deal with it by the enrichment of standard chemistry courses. Highly advanced and enhanced chemistry, that should do the trick. Conclusion, once we shake loose of the restrictive bonds of right, reason, and morally accountability, uh, accountable conscience, there is virtually no limit to how progressive we can become. What's happened in the last five years? There's no limit. There is a fixed standard of right and wrong, and when anybody, be he politician or educator, stands up and talks about values, we have the right and responsibility to ask the question, whose values? The older women are to teach the younger women how to be morally pure. We must understand what the Bible teaches about purity. And by the way, if anybody thinks this message is too hard, again, don't kill the messenger. She used to be a worker at home. Verse 3, verse 5. Now, this does not confine a woman to the house. All it does is this, and please hear me out, because sometimes we take that and we just throw it to the curb and to say, this is just so outdated, and we, we, we have to contextualize, which we should contextualize. But let me tell you this, 
I don't believe it's talking about a woman having to stay home and not work outside the home, but rather her main priority is home. That's her main priority. And if work ever interferes with her main priority, then maybe in a two-income world, we need to figure out to make it on one. Didn't get one amen, because that's just crazy thinking, isn't it? But that's what I feel like Scripture's teaching here. It's not women, you can't work outside the home. It's if working outside the home is hurting your home, hurting your family, hurting your children, if you're spending so much time away from them that it's affecting that other people are raising them, then maybe consider, is this too income? Is, is there any way over a period of time we can maybe, that's what my wife and I did. We, she worked for years for Cliff Kaufman, and there came a time when we both realized and we had to make that horrible call to Dave Chittam, who hated to lose Carol Ann because she was so great, but... We said, she's got to leave. It's affecting our home. And of course, I was being an idiot at that time too, traveling way too much, and so I wasn't helping at all. But I'm thankful that my wife went home for about 10 years. We had no television in our home for 10 years. It's crazy now, I know. We've got one now. But when our kids were growing up, we had no television because it's just so bad. And so we, we decided, that's just a personal, I would not preach that as... In fact, I probably think you need to be careful about that decision. It's quite radical. I think Scripture's just simply teaching here, her main occupation is to be a homemaker. That's what it's teaching. She can have other occupations, but there's nothing more important than the home. Young children need their mothers at home as much as possible, especially when they are young especially when they're six years old or younger. According to psychological researchers, approximately 85% of adult personality is formed at the time a person is six years old. I realize this is not a one-size-fits-all. And I realize the virtuous woman of Proverbs chapter 31 was a businesswoman who owned property, sold goods, cared for her family, that, but her primary goal was caring for her family. So the bottom line is this, whether or not you should work outside of the home should come down to this, does it help or hurt your home? Number four, she's to be kind. She's to be kind. It means she's to be kind-hearted. She's pleasant to be around. She's not sharp. She's not hateful. She's kind. Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Number five, she's to be submissive to her husband. Another politically incorrect statement, and there's so much I could say about this, but with three minutes left in the message, this does not mean that the husband is a dictator. Not much detail here, but it means that the husband is to give loving leadership in the home. That's what it means. It is not so much a chain of command as it is the acceptance of responsibility. Submission is not subjugation. It's not control. The husband is not superior to his wife. Galatians chapter number 3 and verse number 28. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We, we are all one in Christ. This is not about equality. Men are equal with women. This is not about that. I think this is more about Ephesians 5. Men, a wife being submissive to her husband is more about us loving our wives like Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5, you go back to Ephesians 5 all the way, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, head of the wife, Christ, head of the church, his body. Now, as the church submits to Christ, also wives should submit everything to their husbands, just as Christ submitted 
himself to the Father. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, Christ laid down his life for the church, and in response to his love, we love him. It was not, in fact, it's amazing how Scripture teaches that we love him because he first loved us, right? We don't first love him. He first loves us. And can I tell you, men, if we'll lovingly lead our wives, they will want to submit to our leadership as we lead them lovingly as husbands. That's short form, but that's what Scripture teaches, and there's so much more to it than that. And then finally, here's the conclusion of the matter, Titus 2, 5, that the Word of God may not be reviled. The credibility of the Word of God is at stake. That's the truth. Church, we're be, the, the, the Word of God is being taken so lightly today because churches are taking it lightly. We don't live it out. We hear it, but we don't learn it and live it out. And Christian marriages and homes can serve as a wonderful witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, as you can see at the bottom of my notes, older Christian women have a mighty mandate from Almighty God to do this, and younger women allow the older godly women of gospel light to teach you. Well, I told Jordan already that I was just going to close in prayer and, and let us just be dismissed. And so, that's what I want to do this morning. I was able to preach the 10 minutes that we normally give up to the to the response. But I think it'd be better to respond a message like this, which you might say, wow, preacher was really, he got with it this morning. I've really been getting with it for 30 years, to be honest. I've never been known one to just kind of tiptoe through the tulips. I just don't think that's going to raise up a Titus II generation if we just tell them what they want to hear. The truth of the matter is, when we do that, their erosion sets in, and we start drifting. And if anything, when we transitioned this church, we saw it drift to the left because the pendulum started swinging and what was meant to be just drums on the platform and electric guitars became drunkenness and sex and nudity because you know what? Everything else must be okay too. And so we lost our moorings. And for years, we saw teenagers falling off. You know what I see now? A revival in our youth group, a revival in our college. I'm seeing morality become important again because that pendulum is swinging back. And I'm not saying we became liberal. I'm just saying this is what happens when you're not cognizant of the fact that the Satan is a roaring lion. And you give him an inch and he'll take a mile. And so I'm asking our church this morning to consider the message in a loving way, in a loving way. And may we set our course straight towards the goal of raising a Titus II generation. Father, I love you. I thank you for this service. We've got a quick announcement. May you take this announcement. May we not forget what you're doing in our services. And as we're dismissed, thank you for those who weathered the weather. And Lord, our service was, I think, well done for the circumstances. And I give you all the praise, and I thank you for those who have participated and helped us to make this service possible under these conditions. And I give you all the glory and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll close the service. One announcement.